Hello everyone and welcome to the Medical Republic podcast. I'm Linda Calabresi, Editor-in-Chief of the Medical Republic. Today I'm joined by Professor Robert Boyd to talk about age-related immunity. Robert is an Honorary Professor of Paediatrics and Child Health at the University of Sydney and affiliated as a Senior Professorial Fellow at the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance at Westmead Children's Hospital. He has a broad range of experience and conducted extensive research into serious infections and their prevention, with over 300 scientific publications to his credit. We are thrilled to have Robert on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining us. Oh, it's a real pleasure, uh, and I'm really glad to be with you. And uh, you may think it a bit strange that a paediatrician is interested in old people, but I am, and uh, I'm especially interested in their welfare and their health. Excellent. Well, let's get right into it. Um, firstly, could I please ask, is age-related decline in immunity a relatively new discovery, or have we always known this, but it's become more important as we see more older people getting affected by conditions such as pertussis and the flu and most recently COVID-19? Yes, well, age-related decline in immunity has always been around. It's just been better recognised uh, over the last decade or two. It's a problem which is important because uh, our immunity keeps us well, it keeps us safe. And as we get older in our 50s and 60s and even older, the prevalence of immunosenescence, a very long word meaning age-related decline in immunity, goes up quite a lot. And uh, its severity also is uh, worse. And it means things like uh, vaccines uh, are more and more needed as you get older. And indeed, there are half a dozen diseases for which the older people in our community can be routinely vaccinated, some, some of which you've mentioned already, Linda. Excellent. Um, and is it actually, is this decline in immunity actually causing increased morbidity? Do we have evidence of that in older people or is it just a potential risk? The immunological and the epidemiological research both support the idea that if your immune system is reduced, you're at greater risk of infection and the complications of that. You've mentioned flu. Both flu and COVID are important causes of death in people uh, over 60. 90% of COVID deaths, 90% of influenza deaths are in people aged over 60 years of age. It's different to malaria where 60% of deaths are under five. But COVID, flu, shingles, tetanus, pneumococcal disease, whooping cough, all of them are more common and more deadly in older people. And does it happen to all older people or is it idiosyncratic? Is it is it a general across the board problem or? Well, I'd say, uh, Linda, it's somewhere between the two. It doesn't happen to all, but a significant minority are troubled by their immune system decreasing in its function and its uh, effectiveness. All of us uh, suffer from the age of 15, not 50, but the age of 15, we reach our immunological peak, a published study on COVID vaccination I read only this morning shows that 15-year-olds vaccinated against COVID have a better response than 25-year-olds, 25-year-olds better than older people than that. So we reach a peak in responding to various vaccines at about 15 and our immune system slowly declines thereafter. If you like, I'll, I'll give a very um, brief description. Our immune system relies on B cells, which are important for antibody production. That's reduced. And it also relies on cell-mediated immunity. Two types, T helper cells uh, are really important, 
And there's a dramatic decline in the diversity of CD4 T helper cells, especially after 70 years of age. Um, but the CD8 cells, the killer cells, which we also rely on to kill viruses and cancer cells, they decline even earlier. So all up, uh, our immune system uh, works nicely as young adults and is slowly declining ever thereafter. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. So there would be more. There would be specific groups that would be more vulnerable to this reduced immunity than others, I presume. Yeah, sorry, I didn't directly answer that question, um, and you're so right. If you have comorbidities which affect your systemic uh, immunity and your systemic uh, health, particularly cardiovascular disease, uh, hypertension, diabetes, cerebrovascular disease chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, all of those things increase your risk of uh, severe uh, infection and other problems like cancer and autoimmune diseases even. But it's the uh, immunosenescence that goes along with getting older, which is especially prominent if you've got other comorbidities. So the combination of one or two or three comorbidities and the inevitable decline in our immune system does increase our risk. And some people uh, are 60 or 70 year olds, but they're robust, they're healthy, they exercise, they're at a low weight, uh, an appropriate weight when I say low, and and they're more like 40 year olds. Some 40 and 50 year olds are more like 60 and 70 because they've got overweight, they don't exercise, they've got comorbidities, uh, and their mm-hmm. immune system is declining as well. So it's not just whether you're 60 or whether you're 80, it comes down to your lifestyle factors as well. Mm. That's a, that's a huge population of uh, GP practice, isn't it? Um, aside from the annual flu vaccination, what other, you did mention some of them before, but what are the other vaccines that are currently recommended for older people, which are subsidised and which are recommended that people have to pay for? Which, are, which do you think we should be um, looking at for older people and making sure they take up? Well, I like to keep things simple so I can remember them. And I think there are three viruses and three bacteria for which there are vaccines available that are worthwhile having. Start with the viruses. Flu is an annual vaccination that's free for anyone 65 plus on the National Immunisation Programme, as it is free uh, for other people at high risk. So going to your GP in um, April, May, June is a good idea. The earlier, the better to get yourself vaccinated against flu with a, a product that's free on the National Immunisation Program. COVID-2 is free and is being rolled out as quickly as is possible right now in Australia mm-hmm. during April and May. And uh, that too uh, is a vaccine um, which uh, is important, uh, especially for older people. And thirdly, there's shingles. People who are aged between 70 and 79 for the last three or so years could avail themselves of a free vaccination against shingles. And that's the three viruses. Do you want to clarify anything on there before I talk about the three bacteria? No, no. Okay. Well, pneumococcal disease is a frequent co-infection with influenza and other viruses. So you get the virus, it stirs up the throat, the nasopharynx, and the colonizing bacteria that sit there can then invade and cause pneumonia further down the respiratory tract or even a septicemia or bacteremia through the bloodstream. So pneumococcal is able to be vaccinated against for people aged 70 and above. Whooping cough is really worthwhile, not just uh, for the protection of newborn babies from their parents and grandparents, their uncles and other close relatives, but it's also important directly 
for the health of older people. Whooping cough is poorly recognized in older people. It may only cause a fever and a cough without any traditional hoop, which is really a problem that we see in children and rarely in adults, but it can cause uh, a severe pneumonia, um, which clearly is preventable and vaccination is worth having. And with whooping cough, you can also uh, have a vaccine, which is a three-in-one tetanus diphtheria uh, pertussis. And uh, the tetanus part is the third uh, bacterium that's worth preventing. It's the single disease that we especially worry about due to the lack of herd immunity. You can't have herd immunity because you don't catch it from another human. You catch mm. it from rose thorns, from gardening, from exposures mm. to tetanus uh, bacilli in the soil. So that too is worth preventing against. So you can either have pertussis vaccination on its own, or if you haven't had um, tetanus vaccination in the last 10 or 20 years, you can have a, T a DTP. So those are the six diseases I think are worth preventing. Yes, look, an epidemiological question. Just how good do you think we are getting our older Australians vaccinated? What's the uptake like presently? The uptake of vaccination generally in older people is inadequate. It could be so much better. For children, we achieve 90 to 95%, even for a third dose of, of a particular vaccine uh, by 18 months. And, and even the what's required by five years, we're up to nearly 95% uptake in children. In the elderly, we're lucky to get to 70 to 75% for influenza. And there's absolutely no doubt that a GP recommendation increases the likelihood um, strongly of an older person getting vaccinated. And if it's pneumococcal disease, it may only be as low as 30 to 50% of people getting vaccinated. Uh, and if it's the live vaccine for uh, shingles, in the first 18 months of it being freely available to 70-year-olds, only one-third of people were measured as having had the vaccine on the Australian Immunisation Register. Now, that's an underestimate. So if the true number is 40 to 50 percent, that's better. But goodness, for a free vaccine, uh, you'd want it to be 70 to 80 percent as a very minimum. And what do you think some of the barriers uh, to older people exist for them taking up the vaccination? Do you think it's ignorance and they're not aware that these vaccinations are available? Or do you think they have other reservations? Uh, the barriers are several. The most important barrier to vaccination is uh, the... Um, lack of a recommendation from a GP. GPs are critical to getting better vaccination uptake in older people. Where there's a recommendation, the likelihood of a person getting vaccinated is incredibly higher. It makes a huge difference when the GP recommends vaccines that are on the National Immunisation Program and vaccines that are also safe and effective but need to be bought and paid for uh, outside of the National Program. Yes, and aside from a GP recommendation, are there any other um, systems we might put in place to increase the uptake of these vaccines in older people? There's a number of advances over the last 20, 30 years which need to be better implemented. One is the immunisation register. It used to be just for children, but it's now called AIR, A -I -R, the Australian Immunisation Register, not just the adult immunisation register. Keeping a good record means that you can check and see whether someone who's seeing you for one reason, like a script, uh, might also be due for a vaccine. GPs have uh, excellent reminder systems, whether it's on the individual patient or in the practice, and computer prompts can be used and are often used to remind people that the patient they're seeing in front of them uh, has 
uh, several issues that might need to be dealt with, including uh, vaccination against, say, influenza or pneumococcal disease. So GP prompts on the computer, um, the fact that we keep a, a national register which helps us to um, maximise uptake of vulnerable people, and most important of all is the recommendation of a GP to a patient to have a vaccine. Okay, thank you, Rob, for all this valuable information. It really is great to build our awareness of where we need to make up the difference for the older people to ensure their safety. Would you like to make me to make a few comments about the Medical Republic online questionnaire, which I was sent? Yes, please do. So a recent Medical Republic questionnaire showed that 25% of GPs were really unsure or unaware about age-related decline in immunity, and 5% thought it wasn't an issue. So 30% in total have their doubts about immunity uh, being an issue in older people. And 20% of GPs haven't discussed uh, age-related decline in immunity uh, when talking to their elderly patients. So it's an issue that GPs need to know more about. Um, the survey suggested that one in three GPs thought that their education regarding immunity in the elderly, the age-related decline, was insufficient and they could do with more information. And 82%, I think this is important, said that COVID had made them more aware of the issues in the elderly from age-related decline in immunity. And COVID really points to the, the risk. I said earlier that 90% of deaths were uh, over 60 years from COVID, but most of them, 50% at least, are in people who are 80 years of age and above, in whom a vaccination uh, could be uh, very protective. Uh, mm. Even more so if you have a comorbidity like cardiovascular or respiratory disease or uh, immune suppression. But if you survey the risk of dying from COVID in your 30s, it's only one in 500, 0.2%. By your 40s, it's double that, 0.4%. 1% in your 50s, 2 to 3% in your 60s. And if, like Trump, you're in your 70s, the risk of dying from COVID is about uh, 5 to 10%. The reason he survived was not any magic or anything to do with him. Most people, 90 to 95% of people in their 70s, still survive COVID. But when you're in your 80s, the risk of dying from COVID is at least 15%. So it just shows you the dramatic increase that occurs in your risk of dying from COVID as you get older and the importance of vaccination against COVID and other uh, infectious diseases for which we have safe and effective vaccines. Yes, COVID has certainly increased our awareness of vulnerability of the elderly to infectious diseases. Uh, just finally, if you had to give one take-home message for our listeners about this topic of age-related decline in immunity, what would it be? I, I guess um, what a hard job it is for GPs to keep across all of the different issues, especially as people get older and there are so many extra issues to deal with, psychological, physical, deterioration. Um, take-home message is... Just keep up the good work. You're doing a fantastic job. It's not easy and uh, keep learning. Uh, we all need to uh, keep uh, at our own medical education so that we can do the best by our patients. Oh, that's lovely. Um, thank you. Thank you, Rob. That's all that we have time for. And thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. It's great to be with you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Medical Republic, a podcast for curious GPs. You can hear more from us by subscribing on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcatcher of your choice. And you can check out our website at www.medicalrepublic.com.au. Thanks for listening.